Over the weekend, our producer Carmel called up an old friend, Courtney, to see how she was doing. How have you been feeling lately? I've been okay. I feel Courtney like is a dental student in Florida. Back in June, she was in self-imposed quarantine. She'd spiked a fever, so she had to skip classes, get a COVID test. She wasn't worried about it. It's not like she was coughing. She was vaccinated. She drove herself right over to CVS and walked in. So I went in the store, and they ha- CVS has you swab yourself. And I told the guy who was doing my test, I said, this isn't COVID, I'm vaccinated, it's totally fine. Um, And did the swab. While I was doing the swab, I sneezed. And they make you wait in your car to get the results. And I waited in my car. And while I was waiting in my car, I felt my vaccine site get sore, which was the strangest feeling. And at that moment, I was like, oh my gosh, I have COVID. And I was, I just broke down in tears because I felt like I had avoided it for so long. Here are the emotions Courtney felt after learning she had COVID. Guilt that she'd sneezed near that guy at CVS. Frustration that somehow she was the one to get one of these breakthrough infections. And a kind of exhaustion, too. She felt like she'd followed the rules. The only place she thinks she could have been exposed was at a bar the weekend before she got sick, where she looked around and thought, okay, there are a lot of people here, and they're not in masks, but we're mostly outside? Because again, I'm vaccinated, and they, you know, that's what they say. <laughs> this is, a, if you are vaccinated, you are, are able to, you know, carry on. And now, Courtney's asking herself, if you're vaccinated... Are you just able to carry on? Since I have been sick, I have known one, two, three, four, five, six, seven other people have gotten sick. Today on the show, is the U.S. in the midst of a COVID backslide? How good is it to be vaxxed? How necessary is it to be masked? We'll talk about all of it. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick around. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Public health officials are blaming these new breakthrough cases of COVID, cases like Courtney's, on the emerging Delta variant. There's early evidence that people infected with Delta carry around a thousand times more virus than those infected a year and a half ago. And suddenly, everyone's got a story. A little more than a week ago, one of my colleagues here at Slate posted his own cautionary tale in our company-wide Slack. He'd been to Florida to visit some family. Everyone was fully vaccinated. But one by one, most of them started testing positive. 
like my favorite part of our colleague's story is that his wife uh, is the one who got the positive test. And so like somebody from the New York State Health Authority or something called her up to ask her questions about her case. And uh, in the course of, of talking to her, she said, oh, and I'm vaccinated. And the woman on the phone was like, what? I haven't talked to anybody who's had a breakthrough case that's been vaccinated. Like, that's enough to really trip up your belief system, huh? This is Slate's Susan Matthews, by the way. She's been reporting on each new phase of this pandemic. She interviewed our colleague, who wanted to stay anonymous. Like, he felt like he had done something wrong. And I remember this slack taking off like wildfire. Do you remember that moment? Do you remember seeing? Like, can you pull it up? Uh, yeah, I can I can probably pull it up. Give me just one second to scroll back because as you know, <laughs> we've slacked so <laughs> we much. We have an active slack in the, <laughs> in the coronavirus channel since then. Okay, here we go. It was Saturday, July 17th, 5.19 p.m. He starts, I'm going to share a personal anecdote here because I think it might suggest a larger question, which is, do we really know what's going on with Delta right now? And so, yeah, it was a Saturday night at 5.19, and there are like 13 replies immediately with people weighing in <laughs> because it's it's exactly the question that he starts with, do we really know what's going on with Delta right now, is just the the fear to me the fear that was activated for everyone was are we going to start going backwards and i think that that's what everyone's worried about so what do we know about the delta variant at this point cuz i thought that first question was the most important one like do we actually know what's going on and if we do what do we know so I think that we know that Delta is very contagious. It's it's more contagious than other variants or the original virus. What I've heard uh, doctors suggest is that what happens with Delta is that when you get infected with it, it is able to replicate more quickly before your body can mount an immune response. And so even if you're vaccinated, even if your your body is trained at mounting that immune response, which is what you want, it's going to be able to replicate faster. So it's going to make you a little bit sicker than if you were just infected with a normal coronavirus, which your immune response would probably mount and take care of before you noticed and before you got sick. So because of that, is it kind of obvious that we would be seeing more breakthrough infections now? Like, does it make sense? I think it does make sense. And I think a, I think a couple of things there. There just isn't very good data about how many breakthrough cases were expected and how many we're seeing right now. So like one of the very first things that I looked into was like, what is the CDC doing about this? And the CDC is only tracking breakthrough cases that result in hospitalization or death, which means that when I went looking for a statistic of how many breakthrough cases there are, like I, there were some places that said, it's maybe, maybe it's 1%, but there was no real firm data that said anything about what was suspected, what is actually happening and how Delta is affecting that. So in terms of what we don't know, I feel like it's a lot more than what we what we actually know. Yeah, because at the same time, you have these kind of fantastic stories, like the stories of our colleague who mm-hmm. everyone in his family got sick, or the story of what happened in Provincetown, Massachusetts, when a whole bunch of people who were out at July 4th got, got sick, or at least got infected. And so you don't have the data, but you do have these stories, these anecdotes that seem to imply something. 
Yeah, anecdotes that seem to imply something. And the other thing that I think that we all heard when we were learning about the vaccines very early on is like, they're pretty effective. Like they're, you know, you have these numbers in the 80s and the 90s, they're pretty effective. And so you think, okay, maybe one person in my group of 10 would get infected if we were exposed to the coronavirus. But the issue is, is that that's not really how it works either, particularly if you're living your life as you did before and one person gets infected and then it replicates in that person and then you're still all spending time together indoors and unmasked. So it's it's going to spread again. You noted something else, which I think is really important, which is this disconnect in what an average person might think of as severe disease mm-hmm. and what an infectious disease doctor might think of as severe disease. Because, you know, when we talked to this woman, Courtney, she said, I definitely had severe disease. I did not have a mild illness um, at all. I've been explaining it to people that I had full-on COVID just for a shorter duration. I physically felt the virus moving through my body. It It was the craziest thing, just feeling it move from system to system. But she never was hospitalized. She was just out of it for a number of days. How many days was she out of it? I think five. Five, yeah. So this is so interesting because our colleague also was extremely convinced that he had severe disease, and he said that he was fully knocked out for about 36 hours. Hmm. And when I talked to Jeremy Faust, a doctor who has written for us, he was kind of like, that's mild. And another doctor immediately replied to me and said, I had a friend who had a breakthrough case who was sick for four days. The thing is, is that mild COVID is not like a mild cold. It can be really, really bad and is something that's just at a level that most of us have never weathered at home. And that's why this is such a it's a it's a really important thing to understand because you think I'm safe from severe disease, I'm not going to get a fever, I'm not going to get any of these problems, but you could totally have like a horrible flu when you get the flu even if you're not hospitalized. It can, it can be really really bad. Yeah. But the thing that I've been thinking about since reporting this story is, you know, even when I've talked to all these doctors about this and they've said, okay, it's it's not severe disease. Like when we, ver- if, at the very, very beginning, when we first started hearing about coronavirus and the things that we were told were stop the spread, lower the curve. The reasons for that were to lower the demand on the hospital system. That's what we were so worried about. And so we've been existing in this world of taking these actions for collective action purposes, essentially, for a year and a half. And now the switch that we're having is like the main collective action thing that you still have to do is get vaccinated. What's your responsibility in terms of not getting sick? I think that whether or not you get sick and what your risk tolerance is for that is a lot more individual than it is population level. Yeah, but it gets mixed up with the fact that we're also trying to avoid making our family sick. Like people may have immunocompromised people in their family. People may have kids in their family and they may be worried about them. And so those things kind of get tied together. But I remember having that same realization when the CDC made their mask guidelines Mm -hmm. back in May, where they basically said, if if you're vaccinated, you don't have to wear a mask most everywhere. And I realized that was a decision that was made because of the public health infrastructure. Like, okay, we got that covered and that's not going to go down in flames. So now you make your choices. The thing that I think is the most confusing right now about the virus is that we're going from this place of we're all in this 
together. We all have to minimize the risk as much as possible together toward a place that I think is a lot more individual where it really depends on what each person's individual circumstances are and what they're willing to tolerate. And that could be a very different picture for a lot of a lot of different people. And the thing that I think is really interesting about that is that I think that people who have taken the virus very seriously this whole time and have gone out of their way to get vaccinated very early on, it's that group of people that has been pretty cohesive this whole time that suddenly faced with these divergent pathways in a way that they haven't been during during the rest of the pandemic. After the break, which of these pathways are policymakers about to walk down? This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Around the same time Susan Matthews and I were recording this conversation, public health officials were starting to figure out how they'd pivot policy in response to Delta. After months of telling Americans, if you get a vaccine— you'll be able to take off your mask, offering a carrot of sorts. Blue state politicians and others started bringing out the sticks. The Department of Veterans Affairs announced public-facing healthcare workers would be mandated to get the vaccine. Governor Gavin Newsom of California said state workers and healthcare employees would need to get the shot or face weekly COVID testing. The city of New York announced a similar program, which will cover police and teachers. This was a real shift from even a week ago, when cities like Los Angeles were trying to respond to the coronavirus by reviving mask mandates. I mean, the mask mandate maybe is is simpler because it, it prevents people from having to deal with, are you vaccinated or not? Instead, it just says everybody wear a mask. But I think that the stick approach to vaccination is what where we need to focus the effort right now. Of course, that risks pushback because you've seen... You know, this political pushback where folks have said, "You're, we don't want your Fauci ouchie, don't come to my door and ask me about vaccines. And that actually really hasn't been happening aggressively. But now it kind of, it kind of is. <laughs> I, th- I think, I think that's, okay, this is, this is a longstanding theory that I have as a, as a health reporter. I think that that's another area where there have been some polls sometimes that show some outlandish numbers about how Republicans respond to vaccines. And I'm sure that there's a segment of Republicans who who really don't want the vaccine and will never get it and will just respond negatively to anything like that. But I've long thought, like even before there was a pandemic, one of the numbers that I thought was the most fascinating was that just for like childhood 
vaccinations, like for measles. The numbers have actually been consistent for about the past 20 years. And if you, it's like 93% of people get vaccinated. And if you look at the 7% and you look at the reasons why they actually don't, it's about half and half between people who are actually anti-vax and people who just don't have access to healthcare. Hmm. I just reflexively think that we always focus a little bit too much on the anti-vaxxers because it's easier than focusing on the fact that our healthcare delivery system is kind of a nightmare. And, you know, there are there are groups of people who have really good reasons to distrust the the medical establishment in America. Yeah. And a mandate means not just that you have a mandate, but that you need to go out into the communities and make sure that what you're mandating is available. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So when we asked listeners if they had questions or stories about how their personal rules for living were changing during this in-between period as they're adjusting to being individuals when they've been doing this kind of communitarian response for a year and a half, the thing that a lot of people wanted to talk about was masks. And I think that's because masks are something you can see. You know, if you, you don't really know if someone's been vaccinated, but you know if they're wearing a mask. And you don't really know what it means, but you, you know that they're trying. <laughs> and that's something. Okay. <laughs> Maybe. This is the thing, this is the thing that I think is so interesting is it it sort of feels like public health officials' willingness to talk about breakthrough cases. I think that we have done almost a disservice by saying, oh, masks are so easy. It's so easy to wear a mask. I agree that wearing a mask is super easy, but I also think that it's super worth it to talk about the emotions that come with masking and particularly the emotions that come with masking when you're the only one doing it. Yeah. I mean, we had a listener call in from Southeast Kansas. And I just survived my first day of being the lone weirdo who is once again wearing a mask at work. Uh, <laughs> I feel for her. Right? I did too. Yeah. She worked in a company of 300 people. And and what was interesting to me is she said her company, they decided to get rid of the masks like two weeks before the CDC said it was okay. So clearly it wasn't relying on public health guidance necessarily. They weren't waiting on it. And she just didn't know about the people around her. And she just felt like, okay, well, we're near Missouri. I think I should just do this. So, right. So the number one thing there that she identified, which is like the number one important thing to think about when you're deciding if you're wearing a mask is, do you know what the people that you're going to be around have done? Do you know if they're vaccinated? Do you know if they're not vaccinated? Do you know if they're vaccinated, if they're spending time with other unvaccinated people? If you don't know the answers to those questions, it is so much easier to just wear a mask. Like if you can get over the weirdness. Right. That you're that if you're the only person, it's going to feel uncomfortable. It's going to feel weird. It's going to make people think you're still taking this too seriously. It could make them think, oh, my gosh, are you unvaccinated? Um, I, I don't have a super great prescription for it. I have a anecdote. <laughs> uh, I have a friend who <laughs> runs a bookstore. She opened it like three months before the pandemic. So she's run her bookstore basically in a pandemic for almost two years now. It's It's been wild. But wow. she let her employees, like, like finally after everyone was vaccinated, she said, okay, we're going to stop wearing masks in the store. And then what happened was like everyone got sick, not 
with coronavirus, but like with oh, different colds and different yeah. things. And so now she's like, oh my God, everyone's calling out. Can I just ask people to wear masks again for a little bit longer <laughs> so that we stop getting sick? And so I think that there's totally so much symbolism with masks and politics and masks and, and coronavirus in America, but masks as a tool for not getting sick are something that I, I wish that the takeaway with masks is that, wow, this is actually a really effective way to not get those annoying colds, to not get those illnesses that we used to just deal with all the time. And I wish that we could just realize that they're just a tool that we're going to use for ourselves that doesn't have to be connected to all this baggage. I think that it's a little bit too soon to be asking people to like disconnect it from the baggage of the past year and a half. But that's where I hope that we end up going with masks. There's just no reason to not wear a mask at the grocery store is basically how I feel. Or on the subway. Like I'm going to wear a mask on the subway for the rest of my life. (laughs) Why not? (laughs) Another listener called in and wanted to talk about masks at school. This caller is from Texas and she's just like, you know, my governor doesn't allow mask mandates. And school starts in about a month. And that means that the schools can't enforce mask mandates this year, but vast majority of elementary school students can't get the vaccine. So a lot of us are sitting around kind of wondering how the school year is going to look. And not just that, but the American Pediatric Association and the CDC have different ideas of what's safe. The APA just came out and said, I think everyone should wear masks at school, even if you're vaccinated. And the CDC says something very different. Yeah. So I want to start this with the caveat that I'm not a parent, and I think the parents have had to make way more complicated uh, like risk management questions this whole time because it's both about managing the risk for kids and then managing the reality of what they're doing when their kids aren't able to go to school. So like the 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 risks and the and the costs are just way different for parents. I have been very convinced by the data and the information about how much less of a risk the coronavirus is for kids. And the takeaway that I had from this reporting is that we need to start to get to a place where we understand that there's going to be some COVID that we live with, and that doesn't mean that we failed and like that is okay. And so I kind of come down for the for the kids and the masks in the schools that like we've seen enough cases of of schools reopening even during the height of the pandemic where there hasn't been tons and tons of spread where I sort of think that it's okay to to proceed with the school year without masks and with encouraging vaccination and then hoping that we get vaccine approval for for kids under 12. I understand that it's a much more complicated uh, set of questions when they're actually your children. But I, I just feel like we have gotten so used to making these calculations that are based on these really catastrophic outcomes if things go wrong. And I think that with the vaccines, we're limiting the major thing that can go wrong. And we just have to kind of start inching back. It's interesting because I am a parent. And I'm, mm-hmm. I go back and forth about this, about how to feel about, you know, should my kid be wearing a mask all the time? Should they not? You know, should my kid be able to stay longer at camp or daycare or is that not safe? And here's where I've come down, which is my kids are so much happier <laughs> when they are involved in something and out in the world and participating. And I think that's great. But I do think that before the pandemic, uh, as a working parent, 
your kids would have the sniffles or have like a tiny little fever. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of parents who would just be like, just go to school. (laughs) Just go. Yeah. We can't stay home with you. And like, you got to work it out. And I feel like I wonder if that's a cultural norm that can and should change in this moment. Because I've noticed that the schools and the camps have way less tolerance for that. The kids themselves have less tolerance for it. Right. And maybe that's good. Mm-hmm. I totally agree that the willingness to stay home when you are sick is a, another thing that I really hope sticks with us and, and comes out of it. I mean, the issue that you just identified there has been the issue this whole time, which is that if your kid is going to stay home, who do they stay home with? Like, that's the whole problem. You know, if if we're going to not send kids back to school or any of these things, like the costs of shutting down due to the coronavirus have become a very difficult thing to talk about politically. But it's just true that shutting down has enormous costs that disproportionately affect people. And we need to be able to to talk about that and look at that seriously. And it's an incredibly important thing to to look at again when the risks of being out in the world have have changed very dramatically, have lowered very dramatically. We have to stack that up against the costs of of not existing societally. That 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 equation, like those differences, like the vaccines have made that that cost so much less worth it, I think. I think you get where it gets hard is for someone like me who has not just kids who or a kid who can't be vaccinated, but a mom who got vaccinated but is immunocompromised, so it probably didn't work. And so then it becomes my personal risk calculus becomes so much more important. And I have to pay so much more attention to it than I did a year ago, really, when it was just like, okay, everyone stay home. And so the burden of the work is shifting more to me and my relatives instead of the larger group. Right. I agree with that. And the one thing that I think is really promising there is that if we do start recommending booster shots, it will be for immunocompromised people first. I don't know if that will help your mom. Like it's it's totally dependent on so many different things about people's individual health. I think it's I think it's really hard, and I think that this tension that you just identified is like exactly what we're up against in this exact moment. Because you know you mentioned that our colleague posted his story in in Slack, and everyone kind of freaked out, and then I. I reported this piece and we published it and a lot of people read it and uh, somebody still came into the channel and said like, uh, like I'm still having an argument with someone in my family about what we're supposed to do about this risk. And I kind of said where I'm at personally, which is that we've been locked down for a year and a half and we're coming out and I just kind of feel like I can't keep doing this to avoid a five-day severe illness. Like that's where I'm at personally. And a lot of people reacted to it. And all of the people who reacted to it, basically affirming this is where I am too, were basically young adults in their 20s and 30s who don't have kids. Um, And so I think that there's a hundred percent a divide between people with kids, people with immunocompromised people in their lives. The, The real tension of where we're at right now is that there are some people who are like, I'm willing to risk it. And then there are some people who basically either can't or aren't. And I think that it's very fair to to be in either camp. Even though I'm vaccinated, I'm still going to wear a mask in the grocery store. I'm still going to think about what I've done before for the past two weeks before I go see my grandmother. 
like I said, I'm still going to be a little bit cautious in some ways. And I think that it feels really exhausting to feel like we still have to do that. But the thing that I've thought about about this is that we actually all know how to do this. And bringing back a little bit of this doesn't mean that we're going totally backwards. It just means that we're learning how to live with this in like a more long-term way. Well, it's two steps forward, one step back, where we all kind of leaped ahead. And it's like, okay, well, maybe not all the way back to the beginning. Yeah, exactly. But the other thing I really tried to take away from this reporting is like, okay, COVID is just going to become like a thing like I put my seatbelt on in the car. I don't drink and drive. <laughs> like, like it, they're just like things that we live with in the world that are risky. And But you accept the risk. Yes. And you mitigate it. Exactly. And so I think that that's really where we're heading with COVID. Everybody has this different, you know, set of, of things that they can tolerate and that they don't want to tolerate. And everybody has a different value system for how important it is for them to go into a nightclub versus how important it is for them to be able to, you know, spend time with their older relatives. And we can figure out a way to, like, balance people's needs for all those things because we've learned how to mitigate risks in different scenarios and over time. And so that's the thing that we need to just start accepting as part of our lives. And I think that that's not as anxiety producing to me as the idea of like, do we really know what's going on with Delta and is it going to come back and is it going to ruin everything? Like, I think the answer is really much more, we're still learning how to live with the coronavirus. It's going to take some time, but we've actually learned a lot of skills where I think that we can do it and start to achieve more normalcy, too. Susan Matthews, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Mary. Susan Matthews is Slate's news director. And that's the show. Quick thank you to everyone who called in and left messages and told us how your lives were changing because of the Delta variant. We're so grateful. What Next is produced by Carmel Del Shad, Elena Schwartz, Daniel Hewitt, Davis Land, and Mary Wilson. We are led by Allison Benedict and Alicia Montgomery. And I'm Mary Harris. You can go find me on Twitter. I'm at Mary's desk. Thanks for listening. Talk to you tomorrow. <laughs> 